In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever noticed that sometimes your vision isn't as good as it should be? Or perhaps a better way of saying it is that you see things, but you are not looking all that closely and miss something. It usually works two ways. The first is that we sometimes see things that really aren't there. Mirages in a desert or on a hot stretch of road. Perhaps you misread a sentence in a, or a word in a sentence, as I actually just did right now. Maybe even you swear something was a different color than it was in reality. Or, and if you're anything like me, you run around looking for your keys or for your wallet, and you look and you search and you give up in frustration, only to realize that they were right in front of you the entire time, and that you had glanced over them. You hadn't recognized them. It is a simple fact that we sometimes see things and do not recognize them for what they are. That is one of the questions that today calls to mind in our lives as followers of Jesus. St. Matthew recalls for us the transfiguration of Jesus, a seminal event that is sometimes difficult to understand why it is important for us today and why it is a critical in our lives as Christians. It begins with seeing, in true recognition, the things that are around us. And this story, and the recollection of St. Peter and his epistle, and the almost paralleled event in Exodus, all share something in common. There is a graphic display of sight combined with deafening sound. So let's tear a few things apart as we look into these accounts for today. The first is that Jesus is transfigured before them. And the, part of the problem lies in that, in that word. We don't use the word transfigured in our everyday speech. Transfigured or transfiguration is a change in form, perhaps like a metamorphosis. But it's also a spiritual change into something that is highly exalted and glorified. Jesus doesn't just appear to have become dazzling and shining brilliantly. He was dazzling and shining brilliantly. And if we believe in the incarnation, that God is fully man and fully God, then Emmanuel is indeed God who is dwelling among us. It might be more honest to say that the disciples and us too are finally seeing Jesus in all of his glory while here on earth. We are kept catching a glimpse of Christ's true nature, the glory that's hidden by his taking on of our flesh. So perhaps the best word to describe that is the word dazzling. Now the second thing we need to explore is the voice that is heard. It is a combination, an affirmation and command. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. God the Father affirms Jesus as son, beloved and someone who pleases him. Son, 
someone who follows in his father's footsteps. Beloved, someone who is truly deeply loved and loved very intimately. And pleased, someone who does the will of God and follows his authority. And drawn from these three affirmations comes the command given to all who follow Jesus. Listen, listen, listen to him. Sometimes in our confused and anxious or even desired state for satisfaction in our lives, we listen to whomever promises something that is glamorous, something that is telling us just to follow our heart, something that tells us how to follow in the ways of the world. We sometimes even ask the question by whose authority something comes. You can't tell me what to do. Who do you think you are telling me what isn't good for me? And here, in this triple affirmation of God that conveys authority, we learn that God has given authority to Jesus because he is the Son and he is the Beloved and he does everything that is well-pleasing in his sight. And the final thing we have to explore in order to grasp the significance of this is where it's placed in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's also in the same place in Mark and Luke. And if you follow the chronology of the Gospels, it is this event that culminates Jesus' ministry and most of his works in and around Galilee. From this point on, Jesus is headed for the final time to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the site of all the events of Holy Week, Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and of course, Easter. Jesus is as St. Luke says, setting his face towards Jerusalem and nothing will stop him because he knows that his time has come. We stand, as we do each year, on top of this same mountain, preparing ourselves for the rigors of a holy Lent and our own walking of the way of the cross to Calvary and to the tomb. And as we do, the glory of Jesus as God shines forth from the mountain, illumining our way, just as the Gospels begin these concluding scenes. So, this is all wonderful news for Jesus, isn't it? But what does it mean for me and for us? Why do we care if Jesus was transfigured? It isn't like it's a somewhat common occurrence for us today. What bearing does this episode have in the gospel? Well, the first thing we need to become aware of is our place in the continual transfiguration of Jesus, and it's our place as his guests. Peter, James, and John were invited to watch this spectacular display. They witnessed a deified Christ. They witnessed Jesus glorified. We too are invited to witness the glory of Christ here in this liturgy and in our daily lives. It's like looking for your keys. Are you going to recognize them when you see them? Do you see the glory of God in the mundane of the world? It is there that we must learn to recognize. It is there that we must learn to look for it and know it when we see it. 
Just this weekend, several of our parishioners faithfully answered a call that you all nominated and voted for them to attend our 119th Diocesan Council. And I'm sure that all of our delegates and alternates and a few people who attended as guests can tell us all that the invitation to see, to recognize, and look at the glory of God is quite easy to do in mountaintop experiences like that one. But now, we're all back home in the real world. So we must redouble our efforts, seeing the work of God transfigured before us. Secondly, we are given permission to gaze in awe, perhaps even to cover our faces in fear as we look at the glimpse of glory that we are given. And it is a mixture of fear and awe because it isn't truly possible to gaze on God without both at the same time. We see what God is up to in our city and in our parish, in our lives, in our diocese, and yet we also wonder and we fear many things. We fear God himself, or we fear what we might have to change, or we might become afraid because we might be asked to do something, perhaps something we don't want to do, but no, we must. And fear is not a bad thing necessarily. Sometimes fear is a healthy thing. Being afraid of a rattlesnake can save your life. Being afraid of the dark simply because it's dark is not. But when fear becomes something that paralyzes us or causes us to babble incoherently like St. Peter does in this, during this experience, it then becomes unhealthy. You see, part of what Peter's problem is, is that he desired to stay on the mountaintop, to stay in a state of awe and fear and not do much else. Peter even devises a plan to keep that uh, dazzling heavenly display into a permanent sideshow attraction. But you see, that's not what Jesus calls us to do. And that's not what Jesus was called to do. He's not in some sort of stasis field. If we are to continue reading just a few verses more of this chapter, we would find Jesus and his disciples having come down from the mountain and, feeling, feeling and, and finding the real world again at the literal base of the mountain. And it isn't Jesus confronted with people who have said, oh, what a wonderful experience you've had. Tell us all about it. Or answers to a theological mysterious question. Instead, he finds a desperate father with a demon-possessed child who's angry and frightful because the rest of the disciples, the very people whom they thought could help, hadn't been able to. It is only Jesus who has returned from the mountain, who could heal the child. And the answer he gave is only possible when we understand that Jesus goes away, sometimes with just a few others, to pray. Having come from the mountaintop, 
having come from prayer, Jesus is able to come back into this world and to tell his disciples that the only way they can accomplish his work in this world is through prayer. If you have the faith of a mustard seed. That's where that saying comes from, is right after this transfiguration. And lastly, we heed the voice of God who says, this is my son, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. And this is where we all have to do several things at the same time. We have to listen to Jesus in our daily, personal, solitary lives. Prayer is crucial, essential, and without it we can do nothing in this world that God demands from us. But prayer is also crucial and essential as a parish body. Because as the body of Christ, we can do nothing if we are not discerning the will of God. And learning what Jesus wants us to do. And how we are to go about it. Our vestry and our council delegation have all chatted and spoke about things that we would like to do. Ideas that we have. Dreams that we would love to see become part of the reality of this place. But we will not accomplish one thing under our own power. No. No. We must rely on Jesus. On his grace. On his power. On his will. We say that we want to grow this church. I think everybody agrees with that. It would be nice to have a, a full church. We don't grow it. Jesus grows it. What we do is we pray and then act. We want to experience the joy again that we had last month during Bishop's High Visitation where there were four wonderfully curious, and she's over there. Three of them are on a cruise. One of them's over here. Uh, wonderfully curious and intelligent young people confirmed into the baptismal work. And we pray. And we pray hard. Not giving in to the fear of the size of our parish or the lack of programs. But we pray and embrace young people like these into the community of faith. Yes, there is work to be done, but it all must be tempered by, through, and in prayer. Prayer is what allows us to see Jesus transfigured. Prayer is what allows us to approach God in fear and in awe. And prayer is what enables us to hear, this is my son. Listen to him. We are on the cusp of Lent. Let us use this season as a time of prayer. Deep, honest prayer. Come at 8.45 next week and each week following to spend 30 minutes in prayer as we start our Sundays. Come on Friday, beginning this Friday, as we pray to learn to walk the way of the cross around this name just like Jesus did come here to our own mountaintop 
as we gaze on Jesus dazzling in the creatures of bread and wine and leave this place to meet the world again in his name. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.